Welcome to our message for December the 31st, 2023. Today we began a new sermon series on wrestling with doubt. We'll talk about questions like, is there a God? Is heaven real? Is the Bible true? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does God answer prayers? I hope you'll join us for all five of the messages in this series. But today we start with doubt and the existence of God. Is God even real? We've got three different scripture texts from which we'll draw today. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 4, Psalm 139, 13 and 14, and Mark 9, 24. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then from Psalm 139, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And then from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let us pray. Almighty God, most of us, probably all of us, have our doubts. Lord, we may never so know for certain, but Lord, today increase our faith. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief so that we might grow closer to you and bring your kingdom on earth. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Doubt scares us. It makes us feel weak. It may cause us to think that we are faithless. But in fact, doubt is part of our faith. It's a part of our faith journey. Our biblical heroes doubted. Abraham was known as a man of great faith. Six times the Bible says that his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Faithfulness is what he was known for. It was his thing. But he lied about his wife because he doubted that God would protect him. And when God proved that God would protect him no matter what, he lied about his wife a second time because he wasn't sure that God would really protect him in a strange land. He and Sarah doubted that God would provide the promised child through Sarah, and so they conspired to bring in Hagar and sidestep God because they doubted God's ability. Moses expressed doubts even as he led the Israelites out of Egypt. How will we get across the sea? How will I feed them? How will I provide them water? There's time and again when Moses is not sure that he sees a way forward and God still provides. The disciples doubted. I think about Peter getting out of the boat. He was actually walking on the water. As far as we know, there are two people in history that have walked on water. Jesus is one. Peter is the other. But even while he was walking on water, he doubted. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank down into the sea. Of course, Thomas doubted it's what he's known for. Uh, the other disciples told him that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And Thomas said, no, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I put my fingers into the nail prints in his hands and my hand into the spear mark in his side. I will not believe. And so Thomas doubted. 
but he hung around as one of the disciples and continued to serve Jesus. Even at Jesus' ascension into heaven in Matthew 28, it says that many doubted. These disciples who had lived with Jesus for three years, they had witnessed his crucifixion, they had witnessed his resurrection, they had seen the risen Lord. Even these very people with all of that evidence still doubted. Doubt is a necessary and even a helpful part of our faith. Years ago, a young woman in our church took her car to the mechanic for service. After changing her oil, the mechanics told her that her blinker fluid was low. That was a good time to doubt, wasn't it? Fortunately, she doubted. She didn't know for sure whether blinkers had fluid or not, but she checked with her husband and discovered the truth, discovered that they were trying to put one over on her, and of course, she did not pay to have her blinker fluid filled. Doubt causes us to research and then act on information. When we hear something, we don't know if it's true or not. We doubt its veracity. Then that doubt drives us to further research to get better information, and then we act on that better information. Around 1915, the Ku Klux Klan ran these words on one of their brochures. To preserve this great nation for its native-born through Christ Jesus, our criterion of character. Now, the goal of the KKK was to oppress blacks and Jews, people of color and Catholics. And they're doing that in the name of Jesus. When you read that brochure, that's a good time to doubt. When they say that they are following in the way of Jesus, that they're working through Christ Jesus, their criterion of character, there is ample reason to doubt their message. But what happens way too often in our society is if somebody simply says the name Jesus or claims to be a Christian, we automatically accept that without any critical study of it whatsoever. We accept things uh, as being Christian even when they are attacking the humanity of other human beings. If you picked up that KKK brochure, that would be an excellent time to doubt. The Anglican Oz Guinness puts it this way, If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth our believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. You see, doubt, far from being our enemy, helps us discern the truth. And our God, if God is big enough, is able to withstand our doubts. And doubting is inevitable. We doubt all kinds of things. I mean, when you got married, were you 100% certain that your relationship would last forever? Probably not. But you looked at the available evidence, the quality of the relationship, and you took a leap of faith. Were you 100% certain about having kids or about buying a house or taking a job? In all sorts of decisions, we examine all the available information, we draw our best conclusions, but ultimately, we must take a leap of faith. As United Methodist, 
we have an excellent tool to help us wrestle with doubt, to help us discern the truth, to help us gather that information to decide whether or not to take that leap of faith. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Four parts of it. The first is Scripture. We believe that Scripture is a revelation of God's will for us. It's vitally important to teach us about who God is and about what God asks us to do. But then we also turn to tradition. For over 2,000 years, people have been interpreting what it means to live the Christian life. And we need to learn from those that have walked the journey ahead of us. And then we should apply our reason. We should never give up our intellectual ability when it comes to our faith. Rather, we should apply our reason, our intellectual ability to our faith. If something in scriptures or in our experience defies reason, then there's a reason to question that. That doubt drives us into further understanding. And then there is experience. Does it just ring true with me? Has it happened to me? Do I know someone to whom it's happened? Uh, we apply all four of these things, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, to try to discern the truth, to do the best exploration of the information available to help us take that leap of faith. So now for the question of the day. Does God exist? Well, I can't prove it. I cannot prove God's existence. I can't take a picture of God. I can't weigh God. I can't put God under a microscope to see him. I can't show you a picture. So we have our doubts. We doubt anything that we can't prove. But then we look at the evidence. We look at all the available evidence. And I want to share three things with you that convince me to take that leap of faith. First, I look at the beauty and order of the creation around us. And I'm convinced that there is a creator. The psalmist exclaims that the heavens are shouting God's glory. Francis Collins, perhaps one of the smartest scientists in the entire world, once an atheist, explains how he came to believe in God. Francis Collins holds both a PhD and an MD. He, was, he led the project that mapped out the human genome and is arguably one of the smartest people on the planet. He grew up as an atheist with atheist parents, and him, he himself was an atheist into his adulthood. But then he decided to apply the scientific theory to religion to see if belief in God was something plausible, something that he should subscribe to. And he came down after his research, after his study, after, after exploring all of the available evidence, Francis Collins, the atheist, took a leap of faith to believe that, yes, there is a God. Here's part of what helped him decide it. He said a random Big Bang, and he does believe in the Big Bang, but a random Big Bang creating life is statistically impossible. It's just beyond the realm of what scientific uh, statistics would allow. And so if the, big if the Big Bang creating life as we know it is statistically impossible, one way to solve that is by adding multiple parallel universes. If you add enough parallel universes to our universe, then you bring down the statistical improbability. But there's absolutely no evidence of parallel universes. That theory, Colin says, is highly improbable. 
So his third option is that there must be an intelligence behind the Big Bang. It's the only plausible theory for Collins, and I tend to believe that he's right, that the order that we see around us, the order that the psalmist was talking about, requires an intelligent creator. So that's the first thing. The, the beauty and order of creation convinces me. Number two, the experience of God in my life is evidence of God's existence. I, I've experienced God in prayer and worship. There have been times when I sit still and I just know in my heart that I'm not alone, that God is present with me. God has moved me to do things that I normally wouldn't do. I've sacrificed. I've found my place, myself in places doing stuff that I didn't do because it was good for me, but because God had called me to do it. There's a reason that I risk my reputation, that I risk my comfort, that I will risk the easy way of doing things in order to do something that God has called me to do. My own, the motivations that have driven my own life suggest that there is a God. And then seeing the impact of faith on other people. Some of you spent your Christmas day delivering food to people you don't know. Why? Why would you do that on a day off? Why would you get out and help people like that unless you were motivated by some other power? Last Sunday evening, you gave hundreds of dollars to help kids that you don't know and will never meet. Why would you do that? Why would you give away your hard-earned money to help people that you don't know unless you're motivated by a higher power? I'm reminded of my friend in ministry, Malin. Malin uh, grew up with a uh, hard life. Now, he had good parents, good grandmother, but he was just mean. Uh, he got kicked out of every level of school. He was expelled from kindergarten, expelled from elementary school, expelled from junior high and expelled from high school. And I didn't say expended, but permanently expelled from each of those. He got into stealing cars and then tried to up his game and tried to steal from an off-duty police officer that happened to own a convenience store in downtown Birmingham. He wound up stabbing that guy and nearly killing him. Malin was convicted and sent to Kilby Prison, where he fought every day until the day that he picked up a New Testament and began to read. He met God in the pages of Scripture, and it changed his life. This guy who had never completed a level of school in his life, once he got paroled from Kilby, went to Birmingham Southern College where he got a double major, graduated with honors. He went on to get his master, master degree and two earned doctorates, and he has served as a preacher throughout his adult life. I look at the change in Malin's life, and it's evidence that, yes, we do serve a God, a mighty God. In a recent survey of 1,500 churchgoers, 95% expressed doubts about their faith. And I would be one of those, to be honest. But Forest Lake United Methodist is a safe place for you to explore your doubts. It's a safe place for you to ask your questions, even if none of us has the answer. We don't require 100% certainty. In fact, I get a little bit leery when somebody claims to be 100% certain. And we're a place where it's safe to take that leap of faith. I love the story from Mark, where Jesus is prepared to heal this man's son. He says, if you only believe, and the man's response is, Lord, I believe. 
help my unbelief. That's where I am a lot of times. How about you? A lot of times I can't say that I'm 100% certain, but I can say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to invite you to do that just now. Let's pray. Almighty God, we can't prove your existence. We can't be 100% certain. But Lord, we've examined the scriptures. We've examined the evidence all over, all around us. We've examined the evidence in our own lives. Lord, perhaps today we do believe, but we need you to help our unbelief. Lord, help us to take that leap of faith. Lord, help us to step out on faith and believe that you exist and trust you to help whatever unbelief remains. Amen.